welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we come with great confidence knowing that your word is perfect, that it revives our souls. We know that your word is sure and that it makes our simple minds wise. We know that your word is right and it makes our hearts rejoice. We also come to your word with great humility. We know that we are sometimes weak and distracted and blinded in our own sin. We pray that you would forgive us of that sin. We pray that you would bless us as you so often do to open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word. And I pray for myself, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, we have been for the last few months now walking through the book of Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews has been encouraging his readers to keep trusting Christ even when it gets hard. And these believers were facing hardships, and they were wondering if it wouldn't just be better, if it wouldn't just be easier to go back to their old lives. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to them to tell them, no, you can't. You cannot go to your old lives. Jesus is better in every way. And so last week we looked at Um, this picture of Jesus as a better high priest. And we're told that we can hold fast to our confession and draw near to the throne of grace, receive mercy in time of need. And I love it. It was such a good message. And in this passage this this morning, we're going to look at even more those reasons why Jesus is such a great high priest for us. And I I think this idea of a high priest can be a little bit foreign to us, modern Christians, and even non-Christians. The Jewish idea of a high priest 
was certainly not the first thing that probably comes to my mind anyway, probably comes to your mind too, is a, a Roman Catholic priest, um, one that you would sit in a box with and confess your sins to each week. You know, that's kind of the picture that I get anyway. The Jewish high priest, though, was the Old Testament saints' representative before God. So he would represent the people before God. And so if we think of this high priest in terms of a representative for us, I think it's a lot easier for us to relate, isn't it? Because all of us, Christian or non-Christian, we have a deep need, a deep desire for representation. I mean, hopefully not like legal representation at this point. Although, you know, sometimes you may need that too, right? There's commercials. They have jingles. Uh, there's a guy called Sweet James or something. I don't know. I, I've seen, I've seen in her. The guy's everywhere. The guy's all over the place. So, but we, we do have this need for representation, right? We're always looking for someone to represent us. It might be political representation. So this is a real common one. So we try to find a political party or a candidate who shares our beliefs and values and then will act on our behalf in relation to government, right? So that'd be one type of representation. Another type of representation would be like media representation. And this is huge nowadays. Um, we want people that look like us and share our experiences to be in the books that we read or in the films or the TV shows that we watch, right? Another type of representation would be professional representation, right? And this is where, this is a type of representation where we want to see people who are like us pave the career path within which we are walking, right? So like young people, if you want to be, say, a doctor or an actor or an astronaut, how encouraging is it to meet someone who maybe looks like you, maybe even is a believer, a Christian, who has made it in that career path. That's very, super encouraging, right? And all of these types of representation are all well and good, but I think they only point to this ultimate need we have for a representative. We need a much better representative because we have a much greater need, right? We don't need someone just to represent us on a screen or in politics or in a courtroom, we need someone to stand up and represent us before our creator, right? Do you remember just a few weeks ago, a few verses back, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.13, he wrote this, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Right? So the best legal, political, or professional representation on earth is not going to be able to cover you or me as we stand in all of our spiritual nakedness before our Creator. We need a great high priest. Amen? We need to call upon Jesus as this great high priest. And that's what this passage is all about. And so this morning in this passage, there are several great reasons to trust Jesus as your ultimate representative before God. 
our advocate before the Father, right? Our great high priest. And we're going to look at three things. That Jesus is this great representative high priest because he's human, because he's humble, and because he's obedient. So those three points will guide our talk this morning. So because he's human, because he's humble, and because he's obedient. And so first off, Jesus is this great representative high priest because he's human. Take a look again, if you would, with me at verses 1 through 3. So verse 1 says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And so the author here begins with describing the characteristics of these Old Testament priests. First, they've got to be human, right? So first thing on the list, check off, we've got we to have a human acting on behalf of humans. Because they do human things. They offer gifts and sacrifices for humans. They deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. And these Old Testament priests were to be gentle with sinners because they were sinners themselves. That's what the writer's telling us. They would offer sacrifice for their own sins as well as the sins of the people. And now notice here that the author of Hebrews is not saying that Jesus sinned. In fact, he very specifically just told us a few verses back in chapter 4, verse 15, that Jesus never sinned. But Jesus fits all of these characteristics of a faithful high priest, and he does it while maintaining this sinless perfection. That's what's amazing. He's actually better than the Old Testament priests. Because he didn't sin, he's more perfect. He's actually more human, not less. Because remember in Genesis, when humans were created, they're created in the image of God in sinless perfection. So this means humans are more human, closer to that original design, when they are not sinning, right? And so now if we jump down to verse 7 for just a moment, take a look at verse 7. It says, in the days of his flesh. Your Bible, depending on the translation you use, may refer to bodily or it may not use the word flesh. But flesh is actually the best word because the Greek here, it's sarkos. It's where we get the word sarcophagus from. It's, it's a really raw word for flesh. And it really captures, flesh captures more of the visceral sense of that word that, that it's intended to convey. It's meant to get you thinking about Jesus' humanity, about Jesus' flesh and blood, that he had a very flesh and blood human experience. So he had skin, he got sore muscles and sunburns like so many of you have from the beach day yesterday. Um, he got bugs that would fly in his nose. He lost teeth, he got headaches, he got sick, he got tired. He had his heart broken. He was a man of sorrows, the Bible tells us, acquainted with grief. He was not just a superman wearing a human suit or looking like human. It's not like he looked human, but if you shot him with a bullet, it would just bounce right off. He 
was a real flesh and blood person and experienced everything we do apart from sin. And because of his humanity, because he's human, he knows us better and can identify with us better than any animal or angel ever could. And this is why our representative high priest couldn't be a bull or a goat. I mean, there's other logistical issues, I'm sure, with, with that, that I would imagine. But he, he couldn't be an animal. Our representative couldn't be an angel. It couldn't be a seraphim or a cherubim. Jesus had to be made human in every respect. And because he's human, we learned he can sympathize with our weakness, and he can deal gently with us when we are wayward and ignorant. And we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Amen? And so this morning, I don't want to simply uh, repeat the application from last week's message. It is a great message, worth listening to again, and I think it's posted, available online. But I want to focus this week on application for this point on us becoming better, more priest-like humans. So because Jesus, our great representative high priest, is human, we can be, we have the power to be more priest-like, more priestly humans. And God's intention, actually, in both the Old and New Testament was always to call a kingdom of priests to himself. He called his people a kingdom of priests in both Exodus and then again in the New Testament in 1 Peter and also in Revelation. And so the question for us this morning is how can Jesus' priestly ministry encourage us to be more priestly humans in our own lives? And so one way is we can be more priestly humans by being present. What does that mean? Sometimes this is called the ministry of presence. You've probably heard this. But Jesus took on flesh and became our great representative priest. He became, the scriptures say, God with us to experience life with us. And we can, likewise, Give, pass this blessing on to others. Amen? Just being there physically with someone to experience life can make all the difference. Maybe it's just to sit, maybe to listen, maybe to pray with someone, maybe just to read scripture. Our world right now and your brothers and sisters are craving this type of physical presence. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Lord right now might be bringing to mind someone that you should go see today. And you may struggle with not really knowing what to do. What, what should I do? Maybe just start by going. I think you'll figure it out. But you could, you know, you could hold their hand, you could pray with them, point them to their, to, to their Savior. So we can be more priestly humans by just being present, just being there. We can be more priestly humans by being gentler with sinners. Did you see that in verse 2? He says, uh, the writer of the Old Testament priests, in verse 2, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. And I've got to be honest, sometimes I react like I've never seen sin before. Right? When you see it, you're like, what is happening <laughs> You're like, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, can you believe that person said that? Or can you believe that person actually did that? It's like, 
yeah, I can, I can, I really can, actually. You know, or kind of the classic, right, parents, you're like, you know, you ask your kid to do something and then wait for it. Like, they don't do it, right? And you're like, ah, what is, what is going on? I think a lot of times I act like I haven't done pretty much the same thing to someone else in another time in another place. And I think we can be more priest-like by being gentle with the ignorant and wayward because we know what it's like to be ignorant and wayward. Amen? So I'll tell you right now, one day, if it hasn't happened already, someone will drop a huge bombshell of sin right on your lap. And it might be a spouse, and it might be, or it might be a friend, or it might be your kid that comes to you and confesses something that is just absolutely horrific. And I think your reaction to their sin will be a reflection of how they think God reacts to their sin. So if you react in anger, disbelief, disappointment, they will assume that God is angry, shocked, and disappointed with them. However, if you react with gentleness and sympathy, you might actually have a chance of convincing them that they have a great high priest that can sympathize with their weakness. That they have a great high priest who has been tempted as they are, and they can approach him to find grace and mercy. Amen? And so we can be more priest-like humans, more priestly humans, by being gentle with the ignorant and wayward. We can also be more priestly humans by considering our own weaknesses and confessing our own sins. And this kind of goes along with the last one, right? What will make it possible for you to be gentle with the wayward? And I think the answer is by realizing that apart from God's grace, you are capable of the same sin, if not greater. That you're capable of that. And so that's part of what, what we're trying to do as a church together. As we confess our sins each week together, we develop this rhythm, this practice of repentance where we're, we confess our sin and then we're reminded of God's full pardon in the words of Scripture. And hopefully that rhythm spills over into your week. So what we do on Sunday spills over into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And hopefully as we confess our sins and are reassured of God's forgiveness every day, every moment, every hour, we become more gentle in our view of those who are trapped in sin. And those words of forgiveness and grace that we uh, read and that we uh, bring into our own life, um, they, will be, uh, they will be healing for us and, and others when they come to us. So Jesus is our great representative high priest because he's human. That was the first part. Second point is Jesus is our great representative high priest because he's humble. Okay, take a look at verses four through six. Take a look at verses four through six. Verse four says, and no one takes this honor, this high priestly position, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. 
so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the writer of Hebrews here um, gives us another way in which Jesus fits the characteristics of the perfect high priest. And this time, it's the, in the way that Jesus was appointed to that position of high priest. So high priests were not elected. There was no runoff. Um, There's no election. They weren't self-appointed. They didn't bring themselves into that position. They were called by God, and Jesus was called and appointed by God to be the ultimate fulfillment of the office of high priest. And the writer of Hebrews 2, if, the, if you're looking in your Bibles and the spacing changes there in uh, verses 5 and 6, it's because in verses 5 and 6, Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 are quoted. And that, the reason for that is to show these Jewish believers that God's plan all through history was to have Jesus right? God the Son, be this perfect representative, this mediator between God and men that was, that was first previewed in the Old Testament in that office of high priest. And so then even though Jesus comes chronologically after that office of high priest was introduced into history, it was always God's plan from before time that Jesus would fulfill that office, that he would be that high, high priest. And this is because the author of Scripture is the, also the author of history. Amen? And so it's, it's a great encouragement to us that God wrote these verses about Jesus into the Psalms, and then a thousand years later, he wrote Jesus into history when Jesus comes, takes on flesh, and becomes our human high priest. And so this is a great encouragement to us because the author of Scripture is also the author of history, and he's also the author of your story. He's also the same God that we pray to that is doing things in our lives right now. And I want to ask you, do, do you trust that this is the case? Do you trust that God is in control even when your story gets dark? And I don't have to tell any of you that this past year has been a year full of sorrow. And despite the darkness, I have been deeply, deeply encouraged by the trust, by the, the faith that so many of you have expressed often through tears that God is writing a story in which all things work out for your good and his glory. And I've heard some of you say this, that your sorrow is not the end of your story. And it's because you're trusting this great author, our great author, to finish your story for your good and his glory. Amen? And that really is the Christ-like humility that the writer of Hebrews is highlighting when he says that Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest. Jesus has walked this road of humility before all of us. 
He's given us this example of great humility as he ministers as our high priest. And it's a great reminder for those of us who do serve and use our gifts in the church to do what he did and never take the honor for ourselves. So God's call on your life to minister to your brothers and sisters should never be about bringing you glory. It should always be about bringing who glory? God, bringing God glory. And I really want to commend you here because this church is full of humble servants. And this is especially true for those humble servants who aren't in the room with us right now. But they're actually back there with our kids, loving our kids. And I mention this because we need more volunteers. No, no, no. No, sort of. Yeah, please talk to Gabe about myself. We'll get back to you. We'll get your background checked. We'll get you placed on schedule as soon as possible. Sorry. No, I, no, I say this because there are about 70 people each month that rotate through to teach, to pray with, to share the gospel with, and to otherwise love our kids back there each week. And I would tell you to give them a round of applause, but they're not going to hear us anyway. So it's fine. (laughs) And I'll tell you, there is very little honor in having a room full of first and second graders make fun of you all day every time that you're in there. I don't know. I, th- I, think they're, I think they're laughing with me, not at me, right? right? They have to be, sure. Okay, most of the time, anyway. I don't know. But yeah, uh, so how do I transition from that? All right, all right. Uh, so here's our final point here. Jesus is our great representative high priest. We said because he's human, because he's humble, and then also, finally, because he is obedient. Take a look at verse 7. Take a look at verse 7. Again, It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And so the writer spends the last verses just in this section before moving on to talk about something else, continuing to tell us why Jesus is our perfect high priest. And these verses continue to highlight Jesus' humanity, his human nature, by focusing on his obedience. And this is really important. Jesus was a human who had to pray to God just like we do. He didn't have, as I often think, he didn't have this special direct line to the Father that we don't have access to. He prayed through cries and tears. And many of us know what that is like. He learned obedience. Does that sound strange to you? That Jesus had to learn how to obey. So we know that Jesus' divine nature, the fact that he is God doesn't just override his human nature. Luke uh, actually tells us in his gospel uh, about Jesus' childhood, he says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus grew physically, 
and he grew spiritually, and he grew in his relationships. He took no shortcuts to holiness. He didn't get a free pass because he is God the Son. Right? There's no nepotism in the Godhead. Okay? And if you're not sure what the word nepotism means, um, then just ask your parents to help you out. It's, sorry, it was bad. Um, he lived as a spirit-filled man just as we are called to do. Just as we are called to do. And last week we learned that Jesus' experience of temptation was actually more intense than we'll ever experience because he never gave in to the pressure and sinned. And so in the same way, his obedience is all the more glorious because he learned obedience not the way that we often learn obedience, which is through disobedience, right? He learned obedience through suffering, it says in verse 8. And I want to tell you, all of this hard-fought, hard-won obedience becomes a blessing for you and me. It's not just that Jesus is an example for us in how to obey. He's not just an example for, for us to learn how to obey, but his obedience becomes our obedience. It's so Jesus would become, in verse 9, look at it, the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And so why does Christ's obedience matter to you and I? What difference should it make in our lives? It makes all the difference. We're going to look at a few things here. Christ's obedience shows us first that obedience is learned in what we'll call the school of suffering. So not even the Son of God could live the Christian life without suffering. If not even he could live the Christian life without suffering, what makes you and I think that we can skate by without suffering? Might as well just embrace it. And I don't mean to minimize the pain that comes with suffering, but if you understand that your suffering is producing obedience and righteousness and building character and making you into the person that God has designed you to be, then at least that suffering becomes bearable. Isn't that right? So for a moment, well, just play along with me. Um, I want you to picture yourself as a giant 12-ton, 18-foot-long slab of marble. You're a giant piece of cold rock, okay? Are you imagining it? You get neglected, left out in the cold for 25 years, where you, during that time, you become weathered and ragged. Then you get dragged over from one city to the next, where for the next three years, you are beaten continuously. What would you be thinking during that 28 years of suffering? What is happening to me, right? Would it help if we told you that you were being chiseled into the masterpiece that became Michelangelo's sculpture of David, which is considered by some to be the greatest work of art that this world has ever known? 
Suffering is always painful, but it's more bearable when we know that the master sculptor is shaping us into a masterpiece. We're being made ready for eternity. We're being shaped into the image of Christ. And Jesus isn't calling us to suffer in any way that he hasn't already suffered. And so Christ's obedience is an example for our own obedience, but Christ's obedience is not just an example. It is a gift. And that's really, really important to get. That Christ's obedience is a gift that comes to you in salvation. And so this is so important. If you're asleep, wake up. Somebody's sleeping next to you, poke them, elbow them. Because you want to hear this right, and I want to say this carefully. This is so key to understanding the gospel. You and I are saved by works. Wait, did I say that right? I did. I didn't make a mistake. Let me say that again. You and I are saved by works. We are saved by obedience. Thing is, it's just not our works that we're saved by. It's not our obedience that we're saved by. We are saved by Christ's work. His obedience is a gift that comes to us as part of the eternal salvation that we receive. The Bible teaches that if we're left to ourselves, all of our good works are not enough to make us right before God. We need what theologians call an alien righteousness, which I love that term for some weird reason. But it's a righteousness that's alien to us. It's not earned by us. It's earned by another. It's earned by Christ, and it's given to us in the gospel. Amen? This is what makes Christianity fundamentally different from every other faith or religious tradition. So Mormon doctrine teaches that we must do all we can, and then Jesus will get us the rest of the way there. Roman Catholic doctrine teaches that God infuses us with a grace so that we can do enough good to be accepted by him. But in the gospel... We are accepted by God the moment that you put your faith in Christ. We're accepted by him. And even us, you know, Bible-believing Christians, we can drift into at least acting, if not outright thinking, that our own works save us or even prove ourselves to God. But we know, again, that the gospel says that you are accepted by God the moment that you put your faith in Christ. You're good enough. And that means the moment that you put, that you turn to Christ in faith and repentance, you are good enough for heaven. You are given Christ's obedience as a gift. So the moment you turn to Christ in faith, you could, theoretically, get into a poorly designed deep sea submersible. Sorry. Um, it's too, too soon. You could get hit by a bus and your eternal destination is secure. Your, accepted, your acceptance is based on Christ's obedience, not your own. And so then the question is, why should Christians care at all about obeying then? 
Why obey if we are saved by Christ's obedience anyway? It's actually a very biblical question to ask. It's the same exact question, rhetorical question, I should say, that Paul asks in Romans 6, verse 1. And I'm not going to read that right now, but if, what's interesting about that is he doesn't say, why should we Christians care about obeying? He doesn't answer that question saying, well, well, you, you got to prove that you are actually saved, and so you obey. No, he says that why would you ever go back when you have been raised with Christ? Why would you ever go back to your old life? And so when we're saved by Christ's obe- obedience, our motivation to obey is completely different. That's what's changed. We don't obey to earn acceptance. We obey because we've been accepted. We obey out of thanks for being accepted, not because of threats of being rejected. Amen? Brothers and sisters, you need to remind yourself of this always. And you need to be reminded of this on your best day as a Christian and on your worst. So even at your best, you need better. You need Christ's obedience. And on your worst day, your very worst day, you are no less forgiven and accepted because your acceptance is based on Christ's obedience, not your own. And some of us struggle with assurance when we sin. And we must confess our sin, and then we must be assured of our forgiveness on the basis of Christ's work. Don't let yourself, don't allow yourself to be assured on the basis of your own works. Because that's not what is going to save you. We need friends to tell us this, and we need to be the types of friends that tell friends this. Amen? Parents, I just want to want to encourage you to remind your kids that we obey because we're loved by God, not in the reverse order. We don't obey in order to earn God's love. I've seen kids crushed under the weight of trying to prove their salvation by their works. It's as if, the, it's as if they're reminded to work out their salvation with fear and trembling without being told the second part, that it is who? God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Give your kids the gift of knowing that the gospel comes with Christ's perfect obedience for them too. And let them obey out of the joy of being loved. And so Christ's obedience is a gift that comes with salvation. And and then finally, Christ's obedience shows us that we might pray with emotion and reverence. God may hear our prayers and even still, his answer might be no. Take a look at, uh, one more time at verse 7 as we close. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And this verse refers to multiple days throughout uh, Jesus' life, but it definitely brings to mind one particularly dark day. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives to pray. 
And Luke again describes in his gospel that Jesus prayed with loud cries and tears, being in agony and sweating great drops of blood. He asked the Father if there might be some way to remove the cup of suffering that he was about to endure on the cross for you and for me. And yet in his humanity, Jesus yielded his will. He says to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. So what happened there? Verse 7 that we just read in Hebrews uh, chapter 5 says that Jesus prayed to the one who is able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Was he heard? Because some 10 hours later, Jesus was actually nailed to a Roman cross. God the Father didn't answer Jesus' prayer by removing his cup of suffering. He heard his prayer and did not save him from dying on the cross that day. And this is hard to understand, especially for us, but I want to tell you that there may be suffering that you are enduring that just makes no sense to you. Why isn't God healing? Why isn't God saving me? Why isn't God rescuing me? And I want to tell you that God hears, God cares, God has a plan. God is able to save, and we can trust him, and he gives us the ability to say with Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. And God the Father didn't prevent Jesus from dying that day, but he certainly saved him from death. Amen? So in God's good and providential plan, Jesus' suffering was part of the plan that redeemed you and I. And not only was God the Father able to save him from death, but he did save him from death just three days later. Amen? And this is the message of the gospel. The gospel is an offer from Jesus to be your great high priest. You and I need a representative. We need a representative who's both human and divine. Like our catechism said, only a human representative is able to meet us where we're at, to act on our behalf, to deal gently with us, to sympathize with our weakness, to show us humility, and earn a perfect human obedience. But we need more than just a mere human representative. We need a divine representative who can be the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Amen? We need a divine representative who's able to give the gift of his perfect life of obedience to us. And Jesus is that perfect human and divine representative for us. And so if you have not called out to him, repented of your sin, and trusted in him, asked him to be your great representative, he's calling you to do that right now. As we're about to take the Lord's Supper, you can take this opportunity to pray to him and receive him in faith. He is offering. And for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, let's remember and fellowship 
with our great representative who sacrificed himself on our behalf. Our great high priest who's dealt gently with us, who sympathizes with us in our weakness, who shows us great humility, and he's given us his perfect life of obedience. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you designed this office of high priest to teach us that we need an advocate, we need a representative before you. And we thank you that you've given us this perfect human and divine representative in Christ. And I pray for those who you are calling to yourself. Open their eyes to their need for Jesus. Open their eyes to his love and care for them. Open their eyes to his sufferings and to his glories. And help us all to be more like him in his obedience, in his humility, in his humanity. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.